Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target, are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill. As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. When I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. This is the Wheel of Time Spoilers Podcast. Your hosts are Seth Jacobson and Patrick Heiner. Hi, I'm Seth. And I'm Patrick. Let's talk about the Forsaken Social going on. So just to, to lead it off, one of the things I love about Lord of Chaos is we finally get in the heads of the bad guys and get to see them for the incompetent nincompoops that they actually are. Yeah, I'm actually kind of glad that you said it that way, Seth, because the read-in to this chapter, or this section, I should say, because this is the last five episodes have been one chapter, it just really makes the, specifically, Mesa and Samurhag in the beginning of the, the chapter here, really makes them seem regular, like regular women, who are just kind of mean, you know? Because that's really all the Forsaken are. They seem very unremarkable in this, yeah, you know? just kind of crappy people. Probably hoarding toilet paper. Failed their way up. Cut that. <laughs> <laughs> I don't want to offend the toilet paper hoarders. I, I understand the fear. Everyone, what? <laughs> Fuck the toilet paper hoarders? <laughs> Fuck those people. I don't I want just, to offend. I understand the what, fear. I get what, it. <laughs> what demographic are we worried about offending? If we can't offend the toilet paper hoarders, who can we offend? <laughs> We have lost every freedom that we gained if we cannot risk offending the toilet paper hoarders. Fuck those guess, people and their clean asses. <laughs> well, anyway. I'm sitting over here with mud ass going, ah, fucking can't get a two-ply to save my goddamn it was life. <laughs> it was probably Samurhog that hoarded all the toilet paper. She loves cruelty. <laughs> What are you going to I'm do really now? I'm really going to start now, though, I swear. There's no toilet paper. <laughs> <laughs> I'll make you scream for five years. Okay. The chamber had the appearance of a palace sitting room, vaulted ceiling of worked plaster, finely woven carpets on the white-tiled floor, elaborately carved paneling for the walls, 
though it was far from any palace, indeed, it was far from anywhere, in any way that most humans would understand. Miss Aana's russet silk dress rustled as she moved around the lapis-inlaid table, amusing herself with the placement of ivory dominoes in a complex tower, each level larger than the one below. She prided herself on doing this purely with a knowledge of stresses and leverage, not a threat of the power. She had the tower to nine levels. In truth, more than amusing herself, she was avoiding conversation with her companion. Semerhog sat doing needlework in a high-backed chair, covered in red tapestry, long slender fingers deftly making minuscule stitches to form a labyrinth pattern of tiny flowers. It was always a surprise that the woman liked an activity so... ordinary. Her black dress was a sharp contrast against the chair. Not even Demondred dared suggest to Semerhog's face that she wore black so often, because Lanfear wore white. For the thousandth time, Messaana tried to analyze why she felt uncomfortable around the other woman. Messaana knew her own strengths and weaknesses, with the one power and elsewhere. She matched well with Semerhog on most points, and where she did not, she had other strengths to lay against weaknesses in Semerhog. It was not that. Semerhog took delight in cruelty, a pure pleasure in giving anguish, but that surely was not the problem. Messaana could be cruel where necessary, and she did not care what Semerhog did to others. There had to be a reason, but she could not find it. So just starting off the bat, where do you think they are? The dream? A dream shard? A dream shard? That's because it says far from anywhere. Yeah. And so it has, that's, yeah. So I have to assume a dream shard. Or something shale ghouly? It could also be possible, like we've seen Forsaken, for instance, on like, you know, uninhabited islands in the middle of the ocean and Mm -hmm. stuff. That places literally they can only find although i think her exact work wording makes it sound like this place would be unimaginable people in ramland would be able to imagine that there are islands that you can't see surely there are but you're right the first sentence is the chamber had the appearance of a palace sitting room i just wanted to point that out that i, th- I think they're reading in a dream shard of some sort yeah possibly a bubble universe a, a god what do they call those vacuole they talk about those a little bit br- briefly. They're a little bit different than dream shards, but d- not important enough. Grendel is put into one and tortured and pulled back out, and she does a whole. Me- it's like in the last book, we get a little bit of a mental breakdown of what vacuoles are and what the- what they could be. But it's unlikely they would meet in one simply because that is risking it breaking off from reality and disappearing forever. But apparently it's a place where you can do, like, research and stuff like that. There, So the only other, other than a dream shard of vacuoles, my other possible option for where they are. Gotcha. And then the other thing I want to comment on is just the, the wonderful analogy of Messana building her tower out of cards without using the power. And how wonderful that is. It's literally an ivory yeah, tower. Yeah, like she's in the ivory yeah. tower building her black <laughs> tower without using the power. It's all political manipulations. Like that's these little tasks that Simrog and Miss Anna are doing are analogies for what they're doing in the bigger world. Miss Anna is building a tower. Simrog is weaving a net. She's knitting a net. Oh, yeah. I love it. So that's that's sort of what I think that these these mundane tasks are these sort of analogies. And I was kind of glad you interrupted me where you did, because right before I prepped to sit down this evening and talk about the last section of the LSE prologue here, I finished the Lycanus trilogy. And there's sort of some interesting 
parallels here resonated, you know, because I literally just finished the, the third book like two hours ago or something. And um, Masana sitting there thinking about why she's unsettled around Summerhog, but she like seems to refuse to admit. And this is my interpretation of the passage, of course. But she seems to refuse to admit that like Summerhog is an evil person who tortures people for fun. Why would you feel comfortable sitting in a room with her? It doesn't matter who you are. This is this person's broken and messed up. And this is it kind of remind me of like the um some of the conversations you see between see between Talcomar and his um associates mm. where they're arguing, you know, this that or the other and just sort of willfully ignoring in some cases. You know what I mean? The next line after where you stop reading, or the next few lines, where's Demandrit gives us a timeline. 17 days since he went to Sheogul. So from the beginning of the prologue to the end of the prologue is 17 days. Oh. Because the first scene we saw him in going to Sheogul, we heard the let, let, let Lord of Chaos rule. That was the beginning of this chapter. I didn't even, uh, I didn't even catch that. The time was actually measured. Now, I don't know how long it was between... Demondred going to Sheol Ghoul and the end of the last book, but I don't think that long because he seems to have, yeah. if we scroll back, he seems to have gone fairly quickly afterwards. So, yeah, that's my assumption is that we've got se- uh, uh, 17 to 20 days between the death of Lanfear and sort of the beginning of the of chapter one. Sounds about right. And just based on, like, I think we said Rand has been. There's like a couple of weeks afterwards. There's a couple of little things like that that gave us the impression that it's been like two to three weeks between books. Not a super long time, but time has passed. And then we have one of these longish scenes where the Chosen begin to assemble. And we're starting off in Messana's head. And there's just a couple of facts that I want to talk about that she thinks about. One, that she has been to Sheogul a couple of times in those 17 days and has gotten zero information. Oh, it was within those 17 days. I didn't realize that that's what she had mm-hmm. meant. And the only thing she found was a, a strange too tall Murdral. And that's something to point out. Remember, there's the Murdral Sh- Shadar Haran, who is the Dark One. He is the embodiment of the Dark One. He is what the Dark One is birthed out of. If you get a Murdral that's too tall or a Murdral that smiles, that is Shadar Haran. Yes. Jordan throws these little, I, I almost want to call them dog whistles, except that has uh, some other, other other overtones to it that I don't really want to imply. But these sort of phrases, these words that repeat, that clue you in on who these characters are when the person describing them doesn't know who they are. Yeah, and and we're really getting to know Shadar Haran now. And I, I mean through the eyes of the Chosen and stuff like that. So it's confusing to each of them at first. So we're, we're, we're often given that first. She'd been to the Pit of Doom twice twice in that time herself. And I love how early we track Shadar Haran as the, the smiling Murdral who visits Boars, like way back in the Great Hunt. Yeah, he's been around all this time, but he's becoming more and more powerful, and he's becoming closer and closer to... The way I've always seen this, and you know I don't think we've ever had this conversation, but the way I've, I've always seen this is that Shadar Haran is the Dark One's physical presence in the world. And if, like, the seals had continued to break and the Dark One completely broke free, at some point Shadar Haran and the Dark One would become, like, one thing. As as time goes by, Shadar Haran becomes more and more powerful. I see this as, like, a representation, you know. There's that scene in the last 
last battle where there's that blackness in the pit where the pit used to be, and then there's that husk that is Shadar Haran, and Morden says, that thing birthed what you see behind you, which is basically implying that that shadow in the pit of doom that is the Dark One was birthed from the, sh- the shell of Shadar Haran. Oh, creepy. I actually don't remember that specifically, but... Your theory is, like, entirely correct, that the, the, the black <laughs> presence of the Dark One actually entered this world, which, uh, through, through a Murdral, which makes a lot of sense, because the Murdral are kind of outside of the pattern, but kind of inside of it, so it makes their sort of these passage, it makes sense that a Murdral would be a passageway for the Dark One, because they're both in and outside of the pattern, and that seems to be one of, something he could, like, hook onto. Yeah, an appropriate sort of mother to bring it into the world in the creepiest possible way. <laughs> I could ever use the word mother, I think. Not to mention the Murdral were created using the true power, using the Dark One's power to begin with. So that sort of completes the circle, completes the loop. That they only exist because of the Dark One's power in the first place, and they help him come back into this world. They're sort of his anchor into the, into this world. Oh, yeah. And I kind of wanted to point out that when Mesa Anna is recalling her two visits to Shea Ghoul in that time, so that's totally over the last two weeks, she's gone twice. The girl's going every Friday to check in on things. And here, but here's the, the line. To find nothing except a strange, too tall Murdral that would not speak. So she goes, she goes all the way into this creepy place, and there's just a Murdral that stares at her. And then eventually she leaves. Nothing happens. I kind of interpreted that as like, this is the Dark One sort of saying, like, my orders have already been given. There's nothing for you. I, I told Demondred. He's, he's, I mean, because basically at this point, Demondred's Nablis. And it's very much Shada Haran kind of acting as the Dark One, which makes sense, of course, the Hand of the Dark, right? Yeah. But this is the Dark One not speaking. It's very much him. I'm also assuming that if, in this point in time Moradin is still dead Ishamael has been dead since the end of book three he's been out for all of book four all of book five. Oh yeah we only just see in the second part of this book Arangar and Osengar come back and he and Ishamael died after those two that's right and we know it takes some time to bring him back so my assumption is Moradin's not quite back yet and so at this point Demondred is the Nablis he's the 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 Forsaken in charge of the other Forsaken. He's been giving the orders, all that kind of stuff. Oh, you know, I had never really had the thought before that Demondred is kind of... The Dark One gives him his special place for now. I always thought it was strange. Like, is he doubling back? Is he trying to manipulate Demondred into doing something? Like, why does the Dark One seem to imply... There's space for you to become highest, and you're almost there. Or it's, he doesn't quite say, like, he obviously doesn't say you're enabless, but he's like, Would implies mean, it's within yeah. reach. Right. Because if without these orders. Ish slash Moradin in the picture, since he's currently not, Demondred is kind of the next best threat. I mean, he's, as we see, probably the next most effective of the Forsaken. You know, he frees Absolutely, I think. Tame and corrupts Rand's attempt to create a Black Tower. You could say all of the the um, Dreadlords that he pulls out of the Black Tower are entirely at Demondred's orders in the long run. 
obviously he does all the stuff with Shara. Yeah. He he partners with uh, Semarag and Masana, so you could say he's at the heart of breaking the White Tower because Masana was part of that. So you could say he was like you know certainly a partner in making that happen. I was just going to say Semarag's moving the Shanchan right now, right? Right. Right. And so Semarag spent most of her time corrupting the Empress, basically. And or no, she's hanging out with with Tuan. She's Tuan's truth speaker. So that's what she's. So she basically they've. You know, the three of them, I think we've talked about this before, but they've spanned the continent. They sent Semarag out west, they sent Demondred out east, and they've got Masana corrupting the central location. And they're essentially bringing three armies into the same location, into the same into Randland to attack. The, the Shan-Chan from the west, the Sharas from the east, and, you know, corrupting the heart of power. Those three are probably the most effective, and Demondred the highest among them. I mean... Other than Ishmael, who's playing a completely different game. Ishmael's right. not trying to take over a nation. He's not raising armies. He's not doing any of that. He's playing head games um, with Rand. He's just torturing Rand. Yeah. <laughs> and and the other boys. And you could say, in, in a lot of ways, Ishmael has the power. He controls the Trollocs. He controls the... He controls all the the armies of the, 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 the Shadow Spawn. That's the word I'm looking for. I always say Ishmael seems to have t- total control over the Shadow Spawn. Like Slayer and um, the Golem, sure. and uh, you know, it, it seems like, and also, you know, he gets a lot of credit because he's been doing sh- stuff for three thousand years. He did the Trolloc Wars, he did the Black Aja, he did the breaking of the Ten Nations and Arthur Hawkwing, and the falling down of that. Like he has done a lot yeah. to, you know, more than more than anyone else is responsible for the retreat of humanity in the Third Age, right. Diminishing numbers, specifically. I feel like that's what you meant by retreat, yeah. but yes, just yes. the fact that... The retreat of civilization in general. Pretty unprecedented when you think about it that nations have been shrinking for a long period of time now. Um, that there are these just open expanses of fertile land that no one goes and claims. Can yep. you imagine? That's never happened, I think. I, I mean, not in... Not in human history. never happens. No. <laughs> you need like disease. a famine or a terrible disease or something. Yeah. Well, and, and to me, what what really rung true is when a you think about what are the Trollocs eating, and b when well it's people, uh, and then when Demondred is like, I've never seen fewer than fifty prisoners being ready to make into murdral swords. Like there's there's a constant stream of people being taken prisoner to be sacrificed either for Murdral Blades or for Trollic Cookpots throughout all of Randland. I'm kind of glad you brought up that specifically, because I don't think we did when we were going through that uh, section of the chapter, or a section of the, the prologue, um, when Demandre just takes note that there are only, it's like a woman and a young girl, and those it's are like, the only yeah, people in mind to be so. slaughtered. Yeah. They have you know, the, the Thakandar swords made out of them. Or quenched in their blood, rather. Yeah, and he says, I've never seen le- less than 50 in today. And that day there were only two. Or a handful, maybe. I can't remember exactly. Mm-hmm. I can't remember the exact words, but yeah. No, and that's... Imagine just a constant drain of your population. Kind of implying that there's a lack of people to, to kidnap. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You know, just a constant... As we're finding out, a constant drain of death, a daily death of a couple of hundred people adds up over time like that does that becomes a major source of 
population drain. It doesn't have to be a huge number every day, just a consistent number every day. And then just think about like all the little towns that just vanish in the borderlands, you know, all that empty land that used to be populated, all those vast plains. Some of it has been, you know, depopulation because of big wars, but some of it is like, turns out settling a new village um, anywhere close to the border is not a good idea. Pretty dangerous. I think of that every time I look at the map of Ramland and see the Caroline grass right above Andor. A long plain at the edge of the mountains, there's it's there's th- three or four, maybe even more than that, depending on what ter- how much territory you're talking about. I'm just rambling on here, but three or four major rivers. It's like, this is like, this is like all the land around Chicago not being settled. Crazy. It's a breadbasket. I was going to say know? the breadbasket of Andor, right? Yeah. And there's just no farmers. None. It would just be like if the Midwest, if there's just no one in the Midwest at all. Well, which, you know, if Canadians were ravaging Trollocs that came down and raided uh, <laughs> raided the Midwesterners for food and weapons, you know, hockey sticks, they quench their hockey <laughs> sticks in the Midwesterners' blood. <laughs> that is how hockey sticks are made. It's messed up, but... Uh, uh, yeah, I know. Fucking, <laughs> yeah, that's that's why hockey, you know, there's so many fights it's a blood, on the uh, ice. It's a blood sport. <laughs> you, ever, you ever heard hockey called the blood sport? That's why. I mean, it is. They do fight each other a lot. <laughs> well, and it makes sense if you're going to fight, you want you want you know those Thakandar quenched blades um, on the end of your hockey sticks. Well, and the other thing you have to worry about, you know, those the. You don't want to lose an edge on your um, skates either. So not only do you have to quench the hockey sticks, but you also have to, you know, like you have to have the the power rot blade. Grind your skates on the bones of your enemies. Yeah, yeah, totally. That's how it's done, guys. That's (laughs) okay. (laughs) That's a typical American stereotype of Canadians, Patrick. You really, we should really tone that down and admit that that's that's just our own prejudice coming out. I don't really uh, drink American blood. bloodthirsty blood. Canadians. Yeah. This is going on too long. <laughs> Shut down the Canadian border. Dangerous, dangerous. Um, so I think we got to the point of the chosen assembling. Yes. The Mandarin pops out. We hear a little bit about how he's almost. That's pretty much the best uh, description of Demondred. Almost as tall as Louis like, Theron, almost as powerful, almost as old. Almost as many achievements, which is apparently what made him so bitter all these years later. Thousands of years later. Can you imagine how petty <laughs> these Thousands people of years are? Like, later, Dude, let it go. I am like, pissed at the reincarnation of your soul. Jesus. <laughs> Reel Dude, it buddy. in, man. Like, I get it, but drama queen right it's upsetting but like let it go after a couple of years you know you may let this revenge be dominating your life to Mondred. I, I it may lead to you making a mistake on a battlefield and exposing yourself and perhaps yelling for his life and making yourself a target for hours on end until somebody powerful enough comes along and cuts your head off <laughs> bow the wild my ass it very well might happen I wanted to touch on really shortly how problematic the Chosen that have assembled in the room who are, off the top of my head, Demondred, Samarhog, Mesa'ana, Graindal. Is that it? Yeah, that's it, isn't it? They talk about Samael, but they're like, nah, he doesn't trust us, so he won't show up. 
Ravine's dead. Lanfear's gone. Oh, yeah, I guess that explains it. Pretty much everyone else is dead, huh? As- Asmodian's gone, yeah. Yeah, we're, we're, we're running low on Forsaken. So Jordan decides to bring a few back. Arangar and Asangar are the next section. Oh, but I just wanted to bring up how problematic the four so chosen in the room are finding, obtaining any items of power. They talk about it for a page or two. Yeah, and and that's one of those things that people are like, I think we brought it up, that that feels like a plot hole, because like it seems like the rest of our characters just stumble into them, right? Like, Ran somehow managed to, I mean, there's a little bit of Tavirin. Like, Ran, of course, gets the Choden Call because he needs the Choden Call, and so they fall into his lap. Sure. But, like, with the girls, like, they get a ton of Angrial pretty easily. Like, and what's with this ward on the... It seems like Masana should be able to get past the wards in the White Tower, right? Like, freaking Egwene just gateways in to the storage room. Seems like Masana should be able to do the same thing, you know? The only thing I'm thinking is maybe at that point, as the last battle approaches, they talk about wards falling apart in the White Tower, and maybe the ward that kept gateways from happening into the storerooms fell apart as the last battle approached. That's my only spec, but I do think that is a bit of a plot hole, honestly. But like going down there to get Vora's song, Rial just seemed like a plot hole to me. It it is a little bit problematic. I mean, she does it. Can you gateway in and out of the tower at any other point in the series? So, do we see anyone else doing it? I mean, Masana does it right here. Yeah, I mean, there's no. She gateways in and out of the tower, just not the warded rooms. Hmm. Yeah, that is a problem because I mean. What happens if you set off the wards? We see that happen, right? It's like an alarm. Mm-hmm. Someone goes and checks. And if the novice had done her job when Fane showed up, there would have been a whole bunch of folks there. Right. She just, she just assumed it was a rat and... or something, and she didn't want to bother everyone. But yeah, Masana says, well, first of all, I thought this was this whole thing was a little strange, but everybody's coming together. They start talking about Samael. And Graindell says, oh, he doesn't trust you. I don't think the man trusts himself anymore. He, she goes on, he's marshalling his armies in I- Ilion, moaning over not having shock lances, blah, blah, blah. When he isn't doing that, he's searching for usable Angriel or Sangriel, something of decent strength, of course. Their eyes all went to Mesa Anna, and she drew a deep breath. Why? I think because they know she's in the White Tower, and there's a bunch of Angriel in the White Tower. But later, I think it's Graindell that says, where have you been holed up? Maybe she's the only one that doesn't know. But then Masana gives us less lecture where she says the White Tower now has guards and wards on their strong rooms inside and out, plus they count everything four times a day. But she also, And I believe that. I mean, a bunch of stuff got stolen. I mean, she could have a spy there. She, she could just have a spy. That, you know, that, that doesn't mean she's necessarily... Right, or compel someone to, to just yeah. take something? Fifth of the tower is Black Aja. It seems like, you know... The Great Hold in the Stone of Tear is also warded with nasty things, she basically goes on to say. That, I actually believe, might be hard for the Forsaken to break into. Sure. But that would have <laughs> had to have been done by Rand? Yes. So if they'd gotten there before Rand, they could have taken a bunch of that stuff. Sure, yeah. And the rest is, a lot of that stuff is incidentally found like by the Supergirls when they find the random room full of Terangrial and, oh god. When they're looking for the Bull of Winds. Yeah, that's, that's in Ebudar in the, the Riyadh. So I understand how, like, you wouldn't be able to find them so easily, 
perhaps, although the girls sure do, because they use the dream to find them. They don't just stumble on them. Yeah, there's that. I don't know. I'm scrambling. I'm trying to find a way to explain this, but I can't. There's a lot of Aes Sedai who just have, like, Angriol in their pockets that they kind of carry around secretly. Again, seems like Mesa should be able to get one of those from the Black Ajaw. That's true. Have I ever said on the podcast before that I, it, during my first read of The Wheel of T- Time, I thought that the stone on Moraine's forehead was a Terengriel for for most of it, until at some point she explains that it's nothing. It's just concentration stone, yeah. You kind of learn that she can't lie. But in the beginning, I was like, oh, that's why she's so powerful. Like, she has special devices. That makes sense, yeah. <laughs> she makes that wall fire and stuff. Seemed impressive to it still is. I mean, she is considered one of the most powerful Aes Sedai pre this book. It was like her and Elida and Suan, right, were really sort of the top Aes Sedai out there for a long time. I always really love that about Moraine, that she's one of those, like, she's like a ton of power in this tiny package, 5'2 or something. <laughs> not And not like a big woman either, like not a, not a wide, wide-built woman either. Small person. The, the Buffy syndrome. Blowing stuff up. Yeah, just like Buffy. <laughs> Call it the Aladdin. Big power. Tiny lip. <laughs> um, other than that, the only other thing I highlighted for Miss Anna's section was her saying, Miss Anna saying, If all goes well in two months, three at most, he will be where I can safely reach him and helpless. Where you can safely reach him? Grendel arced an eyebrow quizzically. Where have you made your lair? lair? No matter. Bare as it is, it's a good as plan as I've heard all day, says Greendale. And I assume that's Rand in a box. Step one. That's Masana's plan. Get a box. <laughs> put Step the dragon two. in a you box. You put a Rand in a box. <laughs> yeah, that she she basically has that plan to have the him be kidnapped by the White Tower embassy and brought to her... So she can fuck with him in her guise as one of the White Tower Aes Sedai. And she's got a bunch of black sisters doing her bidding. I assume this, this means she stays holed up in the tower, posing as a brown, brown sister. A brown sister. A brown sister. A brown. <laughs> who rarely leaves the library and her research projects. Which, I mean, is as good a reason as any. It's a pretty good cover. Yeah, no one knows her very much. Yeah, no one sees her very much. But she's always down... In the lower levels of the library, we think she sleeps down there or something, the weirdo. (laughs) And when you have traveling, you just don't come out of your room for a couple of days. You go off to do whatever. But yeah, keep track of Danelle. She's Messana. And that's very subtle. Very subtle. That's one of the more subtle, I think, things that Jordan does. Yeah. Um, Is is give Messana her persona. I never put it all together until like my second or third read or something. And I'm still discovering little little tidbits about her. And we just have Asangar and Arangar. Just just out of curiosity, what do you think the plan is that Demondred was telling Masaan about? We never do hear it, do we? I assume since Dio said little to Demondred and just kind of implied that he could be nameless if he uses this opportunity well. He needs at least the ones in the room. I think Demondred's plan here, probably, or at least... Oh, gosh. I'm getting ahead of myself a bit, but 
you kind of touched on this earlier when um, you said that like the three biggest threats really to the last battle are Demandred and the Sharans, Mesa Anna and the Shadow Sisters, and I just hate calling them Black Sisters because that means something totally different. <laughs> it's confusing sometimes. And uh, right, <laughs> and uh, Samurhag and the Shanshan are a serious problem for for the Ramlanders. Those three together, I mean, if they make an alliance similar in a sense to the way, you know, Lanfear, Samael, Ravine work together, that would make sense to me. That the first alliance among the Chosen was to trap Rand. Didn't work. A couple of them died. But this other alliance is doing something different. They're also the only Chosen that managed to take a nation, hold it, and use it. Everyone else messes it up or fumbles it somehow. I think this, that's good, but I think the specific plan that he's referring to here mm-hmm. is basically Dumai's Wells. Okay. Messa can get us close, or she she set this up to get us close. Here's my evidence. She set us up to get us close. The Shido got a full box from Demondred already. So he sends the Shido against the Aes Sedai. Right, he's already... That Masana set up. He's already kind of in control of the Shido. He sent them. He's already making moves. Yep. And he's in control of the Black Tower because Tame is his. So of the people who show up to Dumai's Wells, Perrin, that's Perrin, bringing all the people he brings with them due to the tugging of the pattern. Mm-hmm. That's the good guys. The bad guys, Tame, the Shido, and the Aes Sedai which is everybody else, which is the whole rest of the battle, which is basically everything that goes wrong. I think the whole, you know, and I brought this up before, this is the Empire Strikes Back moment. This is the moment where basically Demondred says, we're going to create this huge cluster and it's just going to be total chaos. Let the Lord of Chaos rule. Bring everybody together in one, in one spot and let them fight it out. Let them fight each other. Of course, no, one's, no one expected the Black Tower to show up. Demandred did. Oh, gosh, yeah. So all the chaos and death was just, this isn't Rand winning. No, it's entirely part of the plan. Wait, have we seen Rand start the Black Tower yet? I'm getting my timeline confused because I listened to the Lord of Chaos. Has the Black Tower got started yet? Not quite yet. Okay. I think Gordon's right, but I, because I think that's coming very soon, because Rand did give his amnesty to all male channelers already, but he hasn't started collecting them yet. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill. As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform, with over 350 million global monthly visitors according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. 
Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Oh, in his conversation with Bashir, because Bashir wants Tame, but Rand says, no, you can't have him. And he was like, I actually didn't mean to announce this yet, but since you're asking, I can't. You know, I can't support a law where we murder all male channelers when I am one. (laughs) That's pretty ridiculous, right? Right, right, right. So that just happened like a week or two ago in the book. So yeah. now Demondred's using that fact to say I'm going to send I'm going to send Taim to him and use Taim to corrupt that whole process. I've got the Shido ready and you're going to send the Aes Sedai and we're going to take him and create a, a huge battle and a bunch of people are going to die and he's going to feel terrible because that's the whole point of all this. We're trying to make Rand feel bad. Gordon said uh, at the end of the book Demandred's back in the pit laughing, basically being like he was very successful. And yeah, because, and so that got me thinking like, okay, if he thinks he was successful, that means all of this went according to plan. And then, so what's the plan? Well, well, we know all these people are being influenced by Forsaken that show up at, at Dumai's Wells. It doesn't matter if Rand is kidnapped or not. And why kidnap him if they're not going to kill him? What do they need him for? They don't need him for anything. Yeah, that makes sense. It's blowing my mind a little. I always saw Dumai's Dumai Wells as or Dumai's Wells as as a great victory. Ran springs his prison, gets out, you know, his allies show up, save him from this impossible situation. I never thought about I mean, how just how many people die to get that done. I mean, of course I thought about it because it's such a giant, brutal battle scene, but that that could very well have been the the whole point. Doesn't matter if Rand is sprung from, from sprung from his jail or not. What you want is the conflict. We, they made an insane dragon and then turned him loose on the world. The box. <clears throat> they put him on the path to the top of Dragon Mount, where he came this close, holding my fingers very close, this close to destroying the world and ending the pattern for all time, which is what the yeah. Dark One wants. And honestly, where where does Darth Rand start in the box? And this is the path to that. Yeah, I think you're right. If anything is effective, if anything is super effective, it's destroying the world. If anything nearly comes close to ending everything, more than any other battle, more than any other strategy, it's putting Rand in the box. Thousands and thousands and thousands. So many people die that it's impossible to even distinguish how many people are dead in the end because it's like a it's like the scraps from a butcher shop <laughs> that have been swept up except tons and tons and tons of human meat scattered everywhere that's what the end of Dumai's wells looks like 
I can't imagine that you could walk out the other end of that, like, stable, you know? Mm-hmm. <laughs> you need help seeing that. And it's a little more than that. And and we see him go nuts. I mean, that's really, that's when he starts talking to... It's not just just the PTSD either. It's when he starts talking to the L- LTT in his head. It's when he starts just, like, really, like, at at, at that point, he is insane. Oh, also, yeah. Also, you kind of led me to think, like, his relationship with the the thoughts and ideas that are coming into his mind that are, you know, quote-unquote, from Luz Theron yeah, is actually pretty good right now. Um, he's He's a little mistrustful. He feels a little weird about it, but who wouldn't? But sometimes he acknowledges and realizes that they work. Later, it, this turns into a really, like, contentious relationship between Rand and a person that he invents that lives inside of his mind. Yes. A voice in his head. They, f- they fight and argue and things. At this point, Rand is just like, I don't understand how I knew that, but I knew that. Yeah, and he's hearing some uh, a, a voice every once in a while. And that's questionable and strange and, and scary, sure, but... He doesn't argue. <laughs> he doesn't fight something that's not there. All right. Do you want to bring some Forsaken back to life? Yeah. Then we have Arangar and Asengar. And... Agonor and Bethalmil. Bethalmil. Okay. How, how do you say that? Balthamel? The second. Balthamel. Thank you. Balthamel? That's how we always said it. The gilt-framed mirror reflected the room. The disturbingly patterned mosaics on the walls. The gilded furnishings and fine carpets, the other mirrors, and the tapestries, a palace room without a window or a door. The mirror reflected a woman striding up and down in a dark blood-red gown, her beautiful face a combination of rage and disbelief. Still, disbelief. It reflected his own face, too, and that interested him far more than the woman. He could not resist touching his nose and mouth and cheeks for the hundredth time to make sure they were real. Not young, but younger than the face he had worn on first waking from the long sleep, with all its endless nightmares. An ordinary face, and he had always hated being ordinary. He recognized the sound in his throat as a budding laugh, a giggle, and stifled it. He was not mad, despite everything. He was not that. Name had been given to him during his this second, far more horrific sleep, before he woke to this face and body. Asengar, a name given by a voice he knew and dared not disobey. His old name, given in scorn and adopted in pride, was gone forever. The voice of his master had spoken and made it so. The woman was Arangar. Who she had been was no more. Interesting choices, those names. Asengar and Arangar were the left and right-hand daggers in a form of dueling, briefly popular, early in that long building from the day the boar had been made to the actual beginning of the War of Power. His memories were spotty. Too much had been lost in the long sleep and the short, but he remembered that. The the popularity had been brief, because almost inevitably both duelists died. The dagger's blades were coated with a slow poison. Something blurred in the mirror, and he turned, not too quickly, He had to remember who he was, and make sure others remembered. There still was no door, but a Merdral shared the room with them. Neither thing was strange in this place, but the Merdral stood taller than any Asengar had ever seen before. So again, that's 
Shadar Haran, as we see popping up again and again and again in this in this chapter. And yeah, let's talk about these. These are the resurrections of Balthamel and Agenor. Now we're seeing this from the point of view of Osengar, Agenor, who later becomes Deshiva in the Black Tower. And he made, he's sort of the nerdy, evil, I think of him as a nerdy, evil scientist. No good at battle, no good at fighting, not really socially all there, but really good at, like, working in a lab to create Murdral, which means he's fucking useless right now. And Steph, yes, to your question. Agonor created Shadowspawn. All the Shadowspawn, I think. And then Belthamel is, he was a guy with basically rapey appetites, sexual appetites, and he appears to be resurrected as Arangar, and he, she becomes Halima, the one who... This is where it gets confusing, because he was a man who is now in a woman's body. It starts getting confusing whether it's that you call that a he or a she. <laughs> is Certainly at this point, the joke, the, the you know, he still feels like a he, and he's pissed. Uh, but the Dark One's like, the mind will adapt to the body. It's already starting to. And I think very quickly, we start calling this person a she. Yes, you, you kind of see that happen in the text. And there's, there's also, of course, I, I mean, I always saw this as a bit of a kind of a punishment or like a, a way to make light of Balthamel a bit because he was a, like a known rapist. So that was kind of kind of his thing as as far you know in the evil pantheon. So they made him into a beautiful woman. The devil putting you in the body, yeah, yeah. The devil putting you in the body of the person you would target for your evil deeds, right? Right. Like, it's that it's that very much like the the devil has an evil sense of humor, right? Like. Oh, you right. like great beautiful women? You get to be a beautiful woman. See how you like it, you know? <laughs> sure, yeah. That's where I see the story coming from. Now, in the modern day, there's a lot of people who have seen Arangar as a bit of a transgender representation i've heard people say that but i think that's that's reaching and it's a it's a weird thing to put on all trans people <laughs> i feel like this is yeah nah <laughs> but, but also like it's this is not jordan saying trans people are evil just because this person who got put in another body happens to be an evil person you know like that's the other thing i've seen put on this and i've been like that is not at all what he's trying to say no yeah and it's a it's a form of like torture like putting that's that's not quite the right word but it's it's a way to make this person really uncomfortable to take them out of the body that they're supposed to be and put them in another one which i feel like is almost a pro-trans statement (laughs) like right right. uh (laughs) almost now i I think the fact that he adjusts and becomes a she is something that that you could argue is not totally trans friendly blah 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 but yeah that's why i feel like this is the devil right Let's go back to this is the devil screwing somebody over by making them into the victim of their own crime. Yeah. It is not someone choosing to change body identities. It's that's that's why I I wouldn't want to that's why I say like that's a weird thing to put on trans people. Right. Yeah. <laughs> you know? No, so this like <laughs> I guess my point is I want I really do want to divest what 
happens to Agenor? What happens to this person? Yeah. And I hear you. Because I've, I've heard people make the same argument that, oh, what is progressive? Like, there's even trans people. I'm like, no, 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 don't take it that far, though. Because <laughs> <you have laughs> then really you have to really sense, start no. stretching. Yeah. Then you there's... have to, like, understand what happens to this person. And There's gay people and black people, yeah. and this was written in the 80s, and that's amazing. So just just that. <laughs> I'm laughing. It's not that funny. It's just the world that we live in. Sometimes you got to laugh, guys. But I, yeah, I just, I, I've heard, I've heard a lot of people try and put some trans representation on Halima, I, and I'm just like, don't, no, don't. Yeah, and and to to be fair, also, uh, if I kind of look back in the other direction and say, like, I get grasping and wanting to include everyone and and try to find a, a place for you know all of the people that you know in your favorite series, it's just, it, it, I don't think that that's where it should be. <laughs> I don't, I don't think that that's a good example. Oh, and then Texas Blade also points out that it's also a a bit of a plot device to have the Dark One does something no one else can do, something quote-unquote unnatural, which is a woman channeling Sidene, the male half yeah. of the true source. And that, that le- lets her sort of be extremely stealthy. And, that sort of, and it's an interesting plot twist and one that sort of lets her do bad things to the White Tower sort of in plain sight. And now this scene is... This scene is in Sheogul. This is not in the vacuole or the dream shard or wherever we were before. We've changed locations, right? I was wondering where this was. It's a windowless, doorless room. So here's my assumption. They're, they get the ability to channel taken away from them. Not just, like, the ability, but, like, even their ability to sense the one power. It's just, like, not there. They're not, like, stilled or anything like that. Good point. And we only yeah. ever see that happen in Sheogul. And that appears to be something that... Or is it? It's something the Fade can do. It's not. I don't know if it's something that we only see him do in Sheogul, but I, I thought it was something Shadar Haran can do. Yeah, for sure. I think that might be Shadar Haran specific. Although we see the Chosen mention a couple of different situations that it is impossible to channel in Sheogul. No, sorry, it's not. Not that it's impossible to channel in Sheogul, but that if you did, you would die or something like that. Or it would be a disaster if you did. Something like that. Right. They don't specifically say, but my assumption always was the Dark One had basically forbidden it, and if you channel, he would just strike you down where you stood. I, I always assume so, too. Not necessarily that there's a feedback or anything like that. I think that's... That... I've had that debate, where it's like, is it a feedback thing? Like if Because ch- we don't see any feedback when Rand channels to fight the Dark One. You know, there's no... It's just, I honestly do think it's just the Dark One being like, are you going to channel around me? I think it's like his opposite. It's like his... It could hurt him. Don't bring the one power in my house. Right, right. Um, you know, yeah. It's like your anti-gun auntie and you're walking into her house open carrying. It's like, dude, that's... <laughs> that's, that's not cool. First of all, it's rude. But second of all, <laughs> you know... <laughs> I feel like that's, that's kind of what it is. It's like bringing holy water into a vampire's house. Like, come on, man. That's just tactless. Right? right? Really? Like, I, I invite you over for dinner. Leave it at home. I promise not to even eat you. And Why are you bringing weapons? No. That's weird. <laughs> That's weird. It's not the Wild West outside. Um. <laughs> and not just weapon. Like, literally a weapon made out of my antithesis. Right? Like, my my opposite. My, my nemesis. Anti-gun anti wasn't really a good example. Because it's literally poison her. Right. 
Not just a gun. That's different. I'd be like an ant being like, why are you bringing borax into my house, man? Come on. Right. Yeah. Why, why did you just cover my floor in borax? It's going to be really hard to pick up. <laughs> I've only got my mouth here and, you know, poison. Uh, gosh, and frankly, I'm not sure how much I really want to touch on here. There's a couple of different things, but I feel like we tackled a lot already. And um, also, Shadarhan says you have not been severed, but you will not channel until you are told you may, and you will never strike at me. I am Shadar Haran, he adds for some reason. The hand of the dark, or the hand of the shadow. And when he tells the chosen, I am Shadar Haran, I noticed that each and every one of them flinches a bit um, because they know what Shadar Haran means. Mm-hmm. He's saying, you know, I'm the dark one's left hand is basically what he's saying, which is quite a claim. But if he's standing in Shale Ghoul at the boar and saying that, and the dark one's not killing him, then it's true. You're like, oh, okay. You know, and, and almost in a way he's literally, he is the hand puppet of the Dark One. Like, I think he's being even more literal than I think they take him for. Literally, the, the Dark One has stuck his hand inside that Murdral and is puppeting it. The hand, uh, you know, when I read Game of Thrones, I thought about this concept all the time because they have the concept, the hand of the king, which mm-hmm. um, makes sense, but it's he's supposed to be the king's left hand, that it's the hand that does the dirty work so that the king doesn't have to look like an ass. <laughs> you know? The same kind of idea is happening here. It's the hand that does the dirty work. The Deathgate Cycle by Margaret Weiss and Tracy Hickman. The Assassin's Guild in that book is called The Hand. <laughs> oh, yeah. Or is it Hugh, Hugh the Hand is the name of the assassin. So not the guild, but that's like the status. What's the name of the game? this game again? The Dragon Gate Cycle. It's uh, Margaret Weiss and Tracy Hickman. They also did Dragonlance. Deathgate Cycle. Deathgate Cycle. Sorry. Not Dragon Gate Cycle. Death Gate. Thank you, Steph. Oh, weird. That's another kind of weird Watt reference. Death Gates. Oh, yeah. That's a good point. I think that's just... Or is that, the, is that what they of... call them? Yeah. I think it is. The ones they killed the, the Trollocsith? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, I think we've kind of spun into Tangent Land. Is there anything in particular left to say about this? No, I think we've pretty much got it covered. You know, some obvious comments... Think of Ravine, whose soul is beyond saving, beyond time, you know, because beyond time, he was bail-fired. It's just a couple, most of the stuff I think we've covered a lot. There's a couple little statements in here as support. He, he talks about the, the long sleep and then the short one. Uh, we know that is a reference to the long sleep is the sleep in the boar, and the short one is the sleep of death, where before he was resurrected and after he which died. Which he, he somehow remembers... Dying and being dead, which is is kind of, uh, uh, was sort of a, a bit of an interesting uh, thing. Well, in the chapter. dark one is Lord of the Grave. You know, it, it seems like being dead is not a pleasant experience. Yeah, in this world, especially if you're evil. Like we get a lot of hints about that. Oh well, and it's also the dark one that's your host. So right, right. You know, <laughs> it's probably not very hospitable. In a lot of ways, you can say they never fully die. That what the dark one does is he grabs their soul before they're dead and sticks it in a new body. And in a lot of ways, it's not that the dark one really resurrects your soul from death. He just kind of snags you, snatches you away from death at the last minute. Yeah. Which is why Ravine, he couldn't get because Ravine was already dead by the time the dark one realized he was going to die. And so it was too late because he was already dead. 
Balefire does a funny thing where it kind of kills you before it kills you. So you die, but you died before you died. Fair enough, Gordo. Oh, and Davigo, I, I have to answer this question because I get this all the time. If Ishmael really wants to die, why, is it, why doesn't he just get someone to Balefire him? It's because Balefire doesn't destroy your soul, right? And I, I've talked about mm. this a couple of times. It just burns, it kills you earlier, but you still have a soul. You still get to be reborn in another body. Now, you're not, he wouldn't be Ishmael Moradin again. He wouldn't have his memories. But for him, that's not good enough. He knows that he would still end up being reborn into another body. He doesn't want to exist ever again. And if he's reborn into a new body, he probably has no chance of ending his existence forever. So he wants to keep living until he can guarantee the end of his existence. He just he doesn't want to just die. That's actually a good point, Seth, that I'd, I'd never really thought about before. But, um, you know, we think of Balefire death as permanent because the Dark One can't bring you back, but you can be resurrected. Uh, Balefire, being killed by Balefire is like being killed so hard you died 10 minutes before you got punched. But you're still, you're like, you still died 10 minutes ago. And so everything else happened normally, <laughs> except you, you got hit so hard you died an hour ago. Already. Like, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but when you die doesn't really change what happens when you die. How, what happens after that. Yeah. In, in this, obviously in this book series, <laughs> yeah. like I don't fucking know what happens after you die. Like, you know, and Balefire is not a real thing. So don't come at me. But, like, in this series, like, you know, if you bail-fired Brigida, she could probably still be summoned by the, by the horn. Effective equivalent of, I'll punch you so hard, you'll wake up next week, or whatever the, you know, phrases are. That... <laughs> it's the same thing. It's the, effectively that idea happening. The, the analogy they use is burning a thread versus cutting it. So if you cut the thread, like, the thread still cut. But the thread goes all the way up to the scissors. Whereas if you take a match to it, it'll flare and burn. And, like, you're not destroying the string, but there's going to be a little bit less of it. So that last minute or so that connected to reality is burned back. That's that punching so hard is like that burst of flame. Yeah. But it's not like it's not like you light the string on fire and the whole thing burns from beginning to end. You don't light the whole string on fire. Your soul, your soul still exists. It's just... All right. So here's where I think the analogy breaks down. We talk about threads of your soul and threads of your life. And when you die, the thread of your life is cut, but the thread of your soul is not. And so Balefire burns the thread of your life, but it doesn't touch the thread of your soul. Nothing can. Well, very little can. So yeah, I fully believe it. Like Asmodian will be reborn as some other shitty... Mis- Alright, here's, here's my headcanon. Asmodian was reborn as Hitler still was a shitty artist and still was evil and took it out. <laughs> hey, his landscapes were, I mean, they're fine. They're fine, yeah. <laughs> you know, and, 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 like, Asmodian wasn't a shitty bard, right? Like, it's just that he hated everyone who was better than him. Fair enough, yeah. Uh, that kind of, that tangent kind of made me want to ask out loud about, what is it called, the Kasuvra? The, like, um, mind trap. That's right. Was the, the is it a soul kind of trap or a mind trap? For well, that's why I'm asking. Because <laughs> we were just talking about the, how it's impossible to affect anyone's soul, even with 
the one power. But is was that an example of that? Oh, I definitely didn't say that. It's definitely it's it's definitely possible to affect a soul. I mean, we see that with like, oh, I said something uh, like Slayer. That, the true power. I mean, the Dark One in Shale Ghoul can fuck with your soul in a lot of ways. Right? He can make a connection to it. That's true. Slayer is a great example. The Kosuvra is another example, right? Like and, the whole um, the fact that he Pen has Fane. a connection to you. Yep. Yeah. Pen Fane, where he like breaks him down and distills him and puts him back into himself. Like, there's a lot of shit that the Dark One could do to your soul. But you have to give it. He doesn't appear to be able to end it. Yeah, and it has to be. It appears to like at in the boar at Shale Ghoul. Yeah, you have to be there physically. Yeah, I, I mean, other than I guess, like if you make that connection to the Dark One, if you make that pledge, he can probably grab your soul and pull your soul to Shale Ghoul. That's that's what I imagine is basically. You know, we talk about those dark threads that uh, we see connected to the Forsaken in Teleron uh, Riyadh. Yeah, so we see it with uh, Asmodian, and Rand cuts those, and those I imagine are like rubber bands connecting Asmodian to the Dark One. And when Asmodian, if if a if a Forsaken were to die, basically the rubber band snaps back, yanking the soul back to the Sheogul and the Dark One. Oh, yeah, that's an interesting way to put it. I always kind of imagined uh, <laughs> the, the way I visualize the process is someone dies, and like in a cartoon, your soul rises up out of your body. Um, the Dark One just snatches it before it gets to Godland, which is, you know, high above Earth. <laughs> this is the way I, I visualized I got, it. Right. It's I kind of think of it exactly know, like but... that, except he already has that rubber band connected to it. So the second you come so out, as soon as you die, rising, you get it's, yanked. Yeah, just, yeah it's just I like, like that idea. Soul, like, whoa! <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I like that idea. And then he's got you in Shale Ghoul, and he can do whatever the hell he wants with you, including you know, torture your soul for a very long time. Or, yeah. But he has to do it right when you die, or else you get go up into that heaven thing. Change your genitals just to make you feel really weird about yourself. Yeah. <laughs> just I because I think that's actually the only reason. Yep. He does that. Just, just to make this person really uncomfortable. Well, in any case, I think that's probably the natural conclusion. Yeah, I think we've reached the end of um, what has to have been... The longest recording we've done for the shortest amount of text. <laughs> I was going to say, the, the most words we have said for the fewest words written. That ratio was extremely high today. That was like 30 to 45 yeah. minutes per page of text. Yeah, yeah, not bad, not bad. That would be like if normally we did a 10-hour chapter. <laughs> we tangented pretty hard on that. I mean, there's a, especially with no, the but that was stuff, really there's fun, a though. lot. There's yeah. a lot there, yeah. I'm going to make fun of us, but it was really fun. <laughs> Those and, are my favorite chapters, where there's, like, meaning in, like, every sentence. And, guys, I'm kind of excited, because the beginning of the next chapter begins with The Wheel of Time Turns, and ages come and pass, nah. leaving memories uh, well, that what become do you think? legend. We've, we've read that enough times. Do you think we should skip it this time? Nope. <laughs> I'm going to enjoy doing that every time. <laughs> I actually almost have the whole thing memorized now. I was thinking about it the other day, and I managed to say almost all of it out loud perfectly. I had uh, messed up a couple of words in there, made it ter- made it slightly different. But I'm almost there that I can just verbatim tell you. All right, shut the look at look at me in the camera and, and okay. tell me. Look me right in the camera. <laughs> look me right in the camera, so I know you're not cheating. So it goes something like: the wheel of time turns. 
and ages come and pass, leaving memories that become legend. Legend fades to myth, and eventually, even myth is long forgotten when the age that gave it birth comes again. In one age, called the Third Age by some. An age, wait, an age yet to come, an age long past. Shit, am I fucking this up? Yeah, no, you're, you, no, you're no, right I'm not. You're right <laughs> an age yet to come, an age long past, a wind rose in the mountains of mist. The wind was not a beginning. There are no, oh shit, I did fuck it up. The wind was not the beginning. There are no beginnings or endings to the turning of the wheel of time, but it was a beginning. Not bad. I almost said it. the wind was not a beginning, but it was a beginning. <laughs> I almost messed it up. Well, I'm sure I did. I think you, you said n- no instead of neither once or twice. Oh, absolutely. And yeah. No, I know I don't I know you, it perfectly. but And you added one word. You said and... Yeah, I said, and eventually even myth is long forgotten. It's just and even. But that was good. That was good. Like one or two little minor (laughs) mistakes. I was reading along. And then, of course, the mountains of whatever. That changes. It's my favorite part of every book. Well, one of my favorite parts of every book, to be honest. The wind was not the beginning. There are no beginnings to the turning of the wheel of time. But it was a beginning. rebuilding my computer and turning my Linux box into a dual-booting Hackintosh, which I'm super, super excited about and cannot freaking wait, but that has led to a few tech, I wouldn't call them problems, but inconsistencies that I've had to work around, so hopefully that shouldn't be an issue, but... Uh, Kelsey asks, what you guys drinking? I'm drinking bag wine. Water. I'm actually out of booze right no now. Booze tonight? Yeah, I don't, I don't. Well, I just don't have anything I'm on me. Switch places from last time. I yeah. think. I'll. Uh, I'm kind of regretting that actually right now. <laughs> me and Julia's. This has turned into me and Julia's budget. Like, well, it's fifteen percent. It's only about twelve dollars for like a three liter bag. <laughs> Perfect. Done. That's what we can afford right now. Done and done. <laughs> That's a slight exaggeration. I think it's about twenty bucks for the for the three liter bag, which is. You know, four bottles of wine, so that's a lot of wine. Yeah, still been drinking a little bit of beer. We did, um, actually, Travis went out and bought a bottle of whiskey. Kelsey, the same stuff you brought when you were here. He liked it so much. Uh, what was the name of that? Really? And so we have a bottle of whiskey that he put in. The- Travis didn't drink much when I first met him, and I always think of him as a non-drinker. It surprises me every time he mentions it now. He <laughs> is definitely a social drinker now. That makes sense. I can also kind of see why you could move to Portland and get into bar culture. Right. You kind of have. I like, mean, like, you end up going to the bar. If you weren't even really people. a drinker yeah. before. Just going to leave that picture there for everyone. Bag of wine. It kind of looks like a nipple on a <laughs> oddly shaped boob. I mean, that's basically what it is. I'll just be real <laughs> <for a second>. Just. <laughs> mm.
Goon bag. <laughs> I haven't heard that one before, but I got it immediately. <laughs> I think this is uh, Australian wine, actually, too. Don't want, do not want cold whiskey. My favorite way is straight. Well, yeah, on, on ridiculously hot days, sometimes I'll put a cube in there. But usually I just like it straight. That's also nice, yeah. But no, when I, when I saw him going to put the, the whiskey in the freezer, I was like, no, 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 it's not vodka. <laughs> he doesn't know. <laughs> That's sophisticated know. knowledge you got there. It actually is. Sometimes I forget and uh, it comes back into perspective. But like, you know, I was talking about how I could see how you could move to Portland and get into bar culture, even if you were never into it before. I just forget that, you know, we live in a city that's known for its bars and beers. And it's so easy to congregate, you know, like I, I kind of had this realization. I was talking to my mom the other day and just checking in on how she was doing. And her life hasn't actually changed that much. Like she doesn't go to church on Sundays and her and her partner trade who goes to the grocery store each week. But that's the only change, really. Like she didn't she wasn't like going out and hanging out in loud bars all the time anyway, you know. My life changed dramatically, but hers life is basically the same. Well, I mean, our our work life and our social life were both based both based around things that closed. Yeah, she was also retired. That's an, that's an important thing to mention too. So yeah, same thing with my parents, where they really they like haven't noticed anything. They're really like zombie yeah. apocalypse. What zombie apocalypse? Didn't really yeah. change anything. They were already growing vegetables and <laughs> pickling. They and, already yeah. live in the middle of nowhere with uncertain access to supplies. They had, they were already stocked up. Like they were, uh, you know, like, <laughs> uh, they already basically don't see anybody. Oh yeah. Don't even get me started on the toilet paper thing. I think it's so weird that people were so low. I had no idea <laughs> that people let themselves live like that. I, I will admit <laughs> we are on our last roll. We were well stocked up at the beginning well, of all this, but it's been like it's two, been two months, two yeah, months. and like we haven't been able to find toilet paper in like two freaking months. Oh, dude, say what's up. If you run out, say what's up. Because I found a a whole like a forty pack the other day or oh, whatever good. it is. Yeah, yeah. I'm, I may have to borrow. There was a couple left in the grocery store, so I bought. I may have to grab a couple, but of we don't need it just to get, get us through <clears throat> while we find it. Absolutely. <laughs> But we don't need it because when we get down to like six, I go buy like another forty-eight pack or whatever it is, you know, four dozen. We just haven't found. Just a order pack. it on Amazon. Yeah. They drop it out the door. I did order. I think yeah, I've got some coming in a week on Amazon, but I think I'll need more before then. It is hard to get right now. And when I bought that pack the other day, I kind of felt guilty because I was like, I don't need this, but I don't know when I'll be able to buy it again. <laughs> So like the everybody else's panic kind of made me panic. Oh yeah, you know? and guess what? That's the whole issue. Is like I don't need this you know, at all, and that's why toilet paper is still out. Now I'm afraid that there won't be any. Right, and now if I find yeah. toilet paper, I'm going to buy more than I need because well, I got down to my last roll, and I don't want that to happen again. So I'm going to buy out every bit that I can find. Unacceptable. Yeah, yeah, this is not allowed to happen. Yeah. So <laughs> it's like it's, it's one of those things where everyone else's panic leads to me panicking, which it, it's just this whole cycle where and leaves. A lot of toilet paper. Right. I felt I felt like such a tool, but I did it yeah. anyway. <laughs> well, how much toilet paper did you have in the house at the time? Uh, we have like I think there's like two six packs left or something. So oh, a lot. Well, I mean, you were well. You had what two six packs left, and you needed more, and you just bought one. You didn't buy a couple of forty eight packs. You bought one forty eight pack. Yes, but I think. That's the rule, at least in Safeway now. You're not allowed to buy one, more than one package of toilet paper. They have signs everywhere in the 
toilet paper aisle, which is empty. <laughs> I'm like, uh, two of what? <laughs> there are, yeah, four or five of the big bulk packages, and I bought one. I'm a part of the problem, guys. <laughs> uh, say, fortunately, there's a shower right next to my toilet, so that, that helps <laughs> with the problem. I, I, that reminds me, I was thinking about this in light of all the toilet paper conversations we've had lately. Um, so I was remembering when I lived in New York City, I had a couple of roommates who were like children of immigrants. You know, one of them was this um, Filipino girl um and i remember her telling us stories about her going to visit her cousins and they would like make she asked for toilet paper once and they made fun of her because they think it's disgusting like the just the concept of it (laughs) and they and they literally said like she was like well what do you do you know and and they were like well you just like go for a swim or take a shower every time every time but i mean if you live in a tropical climate i guess sure why not (laughs) You'll be dry in thirty, in in three minutes anyway. After you get out of the water, you'll be sweating again. Yeah, I'm not sure what the Philippines are like, but probably yeah, they're probably just damp all the time. And you wonder why dysentery is an issue. Jesus. Also, everyone should go out and buy a bidet. I want a bidet. Yeah, I keep meaning to to pick one up on Amazon because I know they're pretty easy to install. Yeah, they're wonderful. Timber's just sitting here looking at me. He wants to go for a walk, so he just keeps giving me the, like that back of the eye look. Like, are we going yet? Are you done yet? <laughs> oh, it's going to be a late night, buddy. OB, if it means anything to you, there, um, it, my apartment, when we uh, first moved in, the toilet, it came with an attachment that is a bidet. So it's not like uh, old-fashioned, like, two things next to each other. You buy these things for, like, 50 bucks, just so you know. <laughs> in case <laughs> you want to take me up on it. Now... Whenever I go to the bathroom in public or something and there is no bidet, I'm very disappointed. I don't understand why we haven't been doing this for all these years. It's far superior. Our culture has some issues with... Um... Yeah, it is kind of funny. If you got poop literally else, literally anywhere else on your body, would you wipe it off with a piece of paper and call it good? Never. Hell no. <laughs> you wash. Can I love that you're now using like heinous trilogy examples in these podcasts? Heck yeah. Yeah, I finished it just... Before I started reading this. What did you... Like two hours ago. I loved it. Holy shit, do I want to yell about what happens in, on like the last two pages, but <laughs> I love you, Kelsey. <laughs> I, I know you're only like two-thirds of the way through, right? Unless you caught up to me. <laughs> Even so, yeah. Because I didn't read anything for like a couple Definitely of weeks. Definitely don't want to spoil that book. But like, <laughs> yeah, yeah. But like, right. The, this isn't like Hannah spoiler. Those last couple of... <laughs> that last chapter. Last... Holy shit, right? He goes back... And, and right, <laughs> right. Never saw that coming. But it fits, right? It doesn't come out of nowhere. Yeah, yeah, yeah perfectly. It's... I just never thought that was a possible outcome. So there it is, Kelsey. Last like last like chapter. It's you don't you're you don't you don't know. You just don't know. There's no way <laughs> you've anticipated. <laughs> Do you have any questions? Do I have any questions? Oh my gosh. Honestly, I feel like I have to read the whole thing over again to really understand what happened because of the time shifting powers. So then, and this is not really any spoiler, at least for you, Kel. So if if you haven't picked up the books yet, I guess it is a little bit, but that there are characters sometimes talking 
like to their friend in the past about something that will happen in the future. And so, and then, but then to make that happen, they have to go back to and repeat what they said. And it gets really complicated really fast. Like who's, when, where, and why. At what point in whose timeline are you meeting them? Right. So just because you're seeing a conversation between these two characters doesn't mean it didn't happen 100 years ago. Or it's happening, going to happen in 100 years for this character and happened 100 years ago for that character. Yeah. yeah. And you're like, oh. Or it are, it's already happened and it hasn't happened yet type thing. It's um, really hard to wrap your head around, especially once you get four or five plot lines moving through time. Yeah. But what I will say is... All the research I've done, it seems, and, and the way he's written it out, it seems very, very well thought out, very complete, very whole. There doesn't seem to be a lot of um, holes in it. No, oh, yeah, this guy did a great job. It did feel like a, an author's first book, though. Somehow. His characters weren't great. I didn't feel like there was enough texture. Like, I wanted a hell of a lot more. Mm. Yeah. But the story was amazing. No, and, and I will say his characters grew quite a bit. Uh, it just took probably two and a half books for me to really fall in love with his characters. Yeah, fair enough. And there's a whole bunch of characters in the early book that like don't make it to the end. That I'm just like, why? They seemed a little dead end. Like I never really felt attached to those characters, and you killed them off without a lot of fan. A lot of them died off screen. Yeah. And so you're just kind of like, why? Uh, okay, guess I cared about that character. Come on. This 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 could have been. I wanted, like you said, but the what what's what's the uh, the saying? This food is terrible, and the portions were tiny. Um, I wanted more, right? Like, <laughs> like that was my biggest complaint. <laughs> I guess is that I got to the end of these three big books and was going that didn't have nearly enough detail in it. Yeah, no, I feel you. Um, but. Uh... Maybe only Wheel of Time fans can say something like that. Like, you know, <laughs> That's you, yes, you may. It's a good. Point. I read a, a two thousand page series, and it just simply wasn't detailed. Right, <laughs> it just wasn't nearly <laughs> enough detail. You know, and I I read those on my Kindle, so I'm not exactly sure what the exact pages were. But the last book was definitely over a thousand, and the first two I think were a tad shorter yeah, than that. Yeah. So. The last one was definitely the longest. Six, eight, it, I'm not in sure. the eight, six to eight range. Yeah, at least six. Oh, definitely a solid first trilogy. Highly, I will pick up anything else he writes without reading a synopsis. Next, I got to read N.K. Jemison's new book. It's hardly even new anymore. I'm just behind. And um, City We Became. Yeah. What comes after that? Uh, the next book you told me to read, Seth. I forget already, but yeah, the dragons one. Rage of Dragons. Also, again, a first book. There are parts of it where I'm going. This does feel like an author's first book. And I, I really got. I said this to you already, but I really understood what you said when I got about halfway through the last book. I was like, wow, he's trying so hard to wrap up so much right. <laughs> in these next couple hundred pages. It was like, man, he should have just written another book. Like, he, he could have. Just based just what was there, you know. Because because with this book being a thousand pages, take 200 pages, put it in another book. That's a good start. Take the two plot lines that he cut out <laughs> right. and include those. That's a decent middle it seemed like he rushed a bit yeah and then expand into some of the little details that you know you just didn't have time to really expand into that because he's able to bring a lot of that stuff in in the first two books but then the third book was a lot of wrapping up without a lot of like extra detail anyway again the food was terrible there wasn't nearly enough (laughs) 
Yeah, I wanted more of like every character. Like some of my favorite characters in the series are, are um, you know, I barely have any dialogue. Thank you for listening to the Wheel of Time Spoilers podcast. Rate us in the Apple Podcast app or support us on Patreon. Is that good enough? Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill. As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply.